These are the six objectives to identify and compare key chapters and verses in the books of Genesis and John, which we'll do today. To analyze and discuss the similarities and differences in content, themes, and theological perspectives between Genesis and John. You'll find that they have a lot of similarities, but they have a lot of differences. Evaluate those narratives. Articulate the theological significance. Engage in critical discussion, which is what we're going to do. We're probably going to do what we did last week again. Have each table, so be prepared. Each table will discuss what we've talked about. Pull out the key points and identify with them, and I'll give each person an opportunity, or each table the opportunity, to bring about what they actually pulled out of the teaching. And last but not least, reflect on the relevance and application of the lessons. So let's start with chapters, the identifying and comparing Genesis. Here we go. Chapter 1. So these are the chapters we're going to focus on in Genesis that are going to parallel with John. Chapter 1, chapter 3, Chapter, mm, maybe, no, chapter 12, chapter 22, and chapter 37. 1, 3, 12, 22, and 37. Those chapters will be paralleled in John. Is everybody warm in here? Are you warm? Is, is, is it warm? Did we, did we lower that back there? Did we lower this one over here? This one got lowered. Interesting. Really fast, can you find out if the sound of the machine is going on? It's like right underneath that air, that little bridge area to the children's section. All right, here we go. Chapter 1. Good? All right. Chapter 1. This chapter narrates the creation of the world in six days, including the creation of Adam and Eve. Now, here's the thing. Adam and Eve comes to the scene, they're, they're mentioned within a cluster of creation in chapter 1, but in chapter 3 is where it becomes unfolded. Who was the first pregnant person on earth? Who, and if I ask a question like this, I throw out a question, you can answer those. Who was the first pregnant person on earth? Wrong. Wrong. Eve was not the first pregnant person on earth. Adam. It's just that he didn't have he didn't have ovaries. He didn't carry her, but he had her in his rib. So Adam is the first to carry life within him, and that life was brought to life and animated by way of God. So God became Adam's midwife. Y'all know what a midwife is. All right. So a little bit about chapter one. And we're going to keep moving forward because I know there's going to be a lot of questions on this. Chapter 1 and chapter 3, or chapter 1 and chapter 2, let's go there. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 have similarities, but they're not the same. That means chapter 1 was a creation of humanity, and chapter 2 leads into this area of life in a, in a certain place. So... Adam and Eve, even though they were created in the beginning, they were not the only humans. And I know I'm going to let me stand up for this one. They were not the only humans because there was something going on outside. This is outside. This is Eden. 
and this is outside. Outside of Eden, this is gonna, you got to pay attention to this because you can, you're not going to be able to see it if you're so caught up with traditional teaching. I got to put that here somewhere. Is that what you're saying? All right, so let's, let's put it over here in the middle. I'm going to lucky. Put it right underneath that. So as he's doing that, let me just break this down to you. Chapters 1 speaks of a creation day by day. Day one, we find the separation between light and darkness. Not light as a sun, but we already went through that last week. I'm not going to get into that today. But there's a, def- there's a separation between light and darkness. Immediately after that, we find the separation between sky. Desert, then the earth was created. Then the, the, the grass and the seeds. And then we find something interesting. That birds in day five... Birds and fish are created. Birds and fish are created on the fifth day. When they were created, were they created without them multiplying or did they create and multiply and they were told to multiply? They were told to multiply. That means that at the point of creation, every single creature was given instructions to be fruitful and so on the day they were created instructions were given to the fish and the birds to create to, to multiply male and female he created them each one male and female on that day so there was already a programming for multiplication from the time we see creation It wasn't that multiplication came afterwards. It was that multiplication already started. Some of you got the answer right earlier, and and I I wanted to see how many were going to still agree. You're going to find out now that sometimes your first answer may be the right one. Look at this. Here's phase two. In the Garden of Eden, there's a similar scenario just that. The difference is, and we're going to read this, because I think it's important for you to see it for yourself. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, and let's go to verse number, that's, that's a nice voice. Let's go now to uh, verse 18, 218. Chapter 2, verse 18. I want to show you something. Remember, in chapter 1, fish, birds, and animals were created first, correct? So when God creates, remember, when did man come into play? On the sixth day. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we find that man pops up on the scene on the sixth day. That means that the animals were already created in Genesis 1. But in Genesis 2, we find something interesting. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So if you do that, if you're going to make a helper who's just right, wouldn't you go right to creating women at that point? 
You know what he did right after that? After he said he was going to create a helper, guess what the helper was? So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He, would, he brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So God's original plan for the helper was who? In chapter 2, it was the animals, a nice mascot, a dog, a cat. That was the helper original, but that wasn't good enough. That means that there's something different about Genesis 1.26. Somebody uh, put me Genesis 1.26. Look what it says on the sixth day. Look what it says. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals. Let, they're already, these animals are already created here in chapter 1. So we already see something different. How is it possible these animals were created already in 1, but in 2, man was created first and then the animals? I told you there's no contradiction in the word. There's no contradiction. It's just understanding what's really going on. Look what it says. And the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created, everybody say them. He created them, male and female. Everybody say male and female. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, them, and said be fruitful and hold on. He told the fish, be fruitful and multiply. He told the birds, be fruitful and multiply. He told the livestock, be fruitful and multiply. He's telling humans to be fruitful and multiply. The only way we can be fruitful and multiply is if you have what? A male and a female. You can't just tell a male to be fruitful and multiply by himself. It's not going to work. So he had to make sure that both these elements were two separate ones. What's the difference between Adam and all of these others that were created? We find out later on the obstacle that takes place. I'm not going to go advance. I'm going stay to in, stay in my lane. But I want to make sure you understand that there's a difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 1, God created them. Male and female. I've heard theologians say, yes, because in Adam at the time, the female existed inside of him. Okay, let's say that's the case. Did, was that the case with all the fish in the sea? And all the birds in the air? Did they all have their rib also? You know, they stopped and... No, because that's not the game plan. The game plan was, I'm going to create them... In my image, humanity. But look at God. He will always pick a person outside of the people. If you pay attention to his pattern, every time he picks someone out of the group. So Adam was a selected one out of the group. He was still first, but he was first without his other half. Everyone else had their other half when he was pulled out he was taken now listen to this garden of eden was a place 
And in the Garden of Eden, he was placed. He wasn't made out of the dirt in the Garden of Eden. He was taken there. To do what? To be the overseer. To manage the Garden of Eden. He became a manager, but he didn't have his other half because it had to be different. Pay attention. This is where it gets interesting. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see this. In Eden, there needed to be something different about the continuing. Because in the outside, the, word, the, the ones who were created outside, they had male, female from the start. So they started to procreate because God said to procreate. But in Eden, he sends one man. One man. Because this is going to be a pattern used later on. He sends one man, and from that one man, he had to make sure that that man was asleep. So that while he was sleeping, he can cause there to be the birth of a woman. Now, why is that important to know? Because the woman is a representation of something that happens later on. Everything in Genesis is just a mirror of what Jesus was going to do during his ministry. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam on purpose. Because as the second Adam, he has to now give life to the church while he's dead. If we keep reading, let's go back to... Uh, chapter 2 of Genesis. Let's go to chapter 2. And go to verse 21. I'm not going to get too much into this one because I got there's a whole lot more to go through. Very good. Very good. So watch this. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Anybody know what a deep sleep is? That's death. Deep sleep. It's not sleep. It's deep sleep. Because you're deeply sleeping. Everything, everything is non-functional for a moment. You're on the surgery table. And on the surgery table, something was going to be removed to give life to someone else. Watch this. From the ribs. Why the rib? Anybody, can, can, you, can, you, can you think of why the rib? Why was the rib chosen? Why not women come from the leg or, or from the brain or from the head? Why the rib? That's good. That's one. That's good. Why else? Because it has to do with what? The marrow or what the blood that's within there that's generated? What kind of blood comes out of the marrow? Those of you who are scholars here. You know, you know, to fight disease, say again, stem cells. Very good. Now watch this. There's something else the rib does. Say again. It protects the lungs. And the lungs is usually a representation of what? Breath, which is also a representation of who? Holy Spirit. So all of it is connected. From the rib comes life. Because the woman was going to be the protector of life. Shielding the lungs. And have everything necessary. 
to be able to bring life out of that area of life. Watch this. Where did Jesus get pierced when he was on the cross? On the side. What kind of sleep was he in? He was deep sleep. Because by the time they pierced him in the side, he was dead. Who was born on the side of Jesus? The church, which is a representation of Eve the woman. You see the parallels? The first, the first public miracle that Jesus did had everything to do with this scenario. It was a public miracle where water was turned into if you know the story, when Jesus was on the cross, when they pierced his side, what came out first? And then it turned into? It went from water to blood. That water to wine scenario was the wedding that was going to take place. It was all connected to show that the first miracle was also going to be the last public miracle. On the cross, there needed to be a transformation now, you put it all together, and you find out that the Garden of Eden was a precursor or a soon-to-be for a later event. Garden of Eden is the kingdom. And Jesus came to establish what? To establish the Garden of Eden. Eden is the kingdom. Every time Jesus was talking about the kingdom, he was talking about reestablishing Eden. Because Eden had fallen apart because one who did something wrong brought in an ingredient that doesn't function in a perfect world. So he had to be expelled. So chapter 1, this chapter narrates the creation of the world six days, including the creation of Adam and Eve. Chapter 3, though, changes everything. Because chapter 3 talks about the fall of man. Now, we've heard this story time and again. You've seen it. Um, displayed, the serpent comes out of nowhere, and he comes in, and, and, and I need you to understand why it happened the way it did. The serpent, did he deceive Adam? Who did the serpent deceive? He deceived Eve. Here's the thing. Why didn't he just go right to Adam? Say what? Adam would have chopped his head off. He's right, because what authority was given to Adam? To rule over all the animals. Every animal will listen to whatever Adam said. Jump. They jumped. He was given stewardship over all the animals. The enemy knew that, so he knew that he could not remain in an animal possessed, because, by the way, the serpent was possessed. The devil can only function in possession. You didn't get that. The devil can only function in possession. He can only move when he possesses the, 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 the flesh and the blood. He got to possess. Outside of that, he, doesn't, he can't. He can only use deception. But if his manifestation on earth has to be through possession. So he possessed an animal that was created by God. But this animal that was created by God had its origins in sin, not based on the thought of God. Let me explain that. When the animal, the snake, the serpent, when it was first introduced, it had legs and it had arms. 
It had legs and arms. When it went to the woman, it had legs and arms. It didn't slither to her. It came walking. Kind of like a dinosaur type of thing. And it came walking and spoke to her and told her lies. Here's the thing. The origin of the serpent was not a part of the plans of God for, you, for the world. The serpent came out of an incident and the serpent lost its arms and its legs. So the origin of the serpent was not in creation. It was in the fall. I don't know if you'll quote that. The origin of the serpent was not when he created the birds and, and, and the fish and created the, the lions and the, the, the... No, the origin of the serpent was at a fall. It was part of a curse. God cursed the serpent and said, now you will slither. So slithering was not supposed to be a part of the ingenuity of travel on earth. Well, this is good. Ingenuity on earth was two legs walking, four legs walking, flying, swimming, whether your tail is this way or this way, but it wasn't slithering. Slithering was not a part of the plan as far as travel is concerned by way of a serpent. So when God put it all together, serpent slithering in their belly was not a part of the game plan until sin came in. When sin came in, sin became part of the defining structure, ingenuity of that particular animal. Not because God said, let them have, let the snakes slither across the ground. Number three, I'm going to go step by step. We're going to be jumping over some stuff. We're going to revisit them later on. Chapter 12, the call of Abram. From chapter 11, chapter 1 to chapter 11 in the Bible, in Genesis, you will find that all of it is about the world. We find out about Nimrod, the first one, the first conqueror to conquer the whole entire world. Nimrod took over all of Babel. The Tower of Babel was because of Nimrod. And all of a sudden, everything changes. After chapter 11, now God zones in. What did I always tell you? God always chooses. He always uses a person, one person, one group, one tribe. He always chooses someone to be a remnant. So what happens? In chapter 12, we find this guy by the name of Abram, not Abraham yet, but Abram. And Abram is chosen to do something that most people would never do. He lived under his father's house for nine decades. He was told to leave. Think about it. Some of us don't want to leave. It could be five, ten years. You, listen, there's something about being comfortable. Even some of you who have jobs, you've been in your job for so long and you wonder, right? God, even if God told you to move, you're like, mm, I don't know about this. 
Why? Because you feel like that's the only way it can be done. Abram was told, get up, leave your father's house, your comfort zone, and just start walking. No direction, no location, get up and leave. How many people would do that? Show of hands. Show of hands, anybody? Oh, we're telling the truth. Oh, yeah, you would. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That's true. To get up and leave from that place where you find comfort is very hard. But then now he leaves, and what if God tells you to leave to go somewhere, what else is going to be a part of that? Who somebody said something? Provision. Who said that? Provision. Provision will be a part of that. I don't care how bad it looks. If God told you to go, you best believe he'll make sure that there's a a fish with a coin in its mouth to give you something. Where did that come from, God? Because you followed instructions. The moment you follow instructions, God will provide for you. It doesn't matter how bad the desert is, you will have enough to eat because he sent you. Amen? So the story of Abraham leads into the promise, the promise of God. And for this one, I kind of want to go into John chapter 8, verse 31, because this is where it kind of combines. John 8, 31, if we could put it up there. John 8, 31 and 32, 831 and on. We're going to find that in order for this statement, for Jesus to make this statement, it required an Abram or an Abraham. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You are right now making a declaration by being here today because you know what today is. Everyone knew coming here, this is about teachings. So that means you came here under the understanding that you're going to be taught. And according to what Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to what? My teachings. So that already qualifies you as a disciple. And you will know the truth, because once you are a disciple, you know the truth. And the truth will do what? I don't care if it's a sickness. I don't care if it's something that's holding you down in your mind. If you are under the truth, the truth will set you free. Do you know that this is on the uh, Dominican Republic, the flag of the Dominican Republic? The only flag in the planet that has an open verse and chapter, John chapter 8, verse 32. It says exactly this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right on the right on the emblem, right there, right, right there, right on the crest. It, it's a Bible wide open, and it has John 8:32 on it. I'm bragging a little bit, I know. My bad. So just a little bit. There's a little bit. But, but I understand that the importance of that statement was not just something that was written, it was lived. What you don't know, some of you don't know, some of you do know, during the Holocaust, the only country that decided to open up their doors to those Holocaust victims was the Dominican Republic. No other country, everyone said no. And guess what? 
<laughs> Look at some of y'all. It's okay. Don't hate. It's okay. But what you don't know is that while there, while there, I went to, I went to the museum of the Holocaust. And they have a whole section on just that whole thing that took place. That's how much they appreciated what happened. Why? Because they knew the truth and the truth set them free. I promise you, no place is just a place just because. There's things that we do and have done that will allow there to be freedom in that place. And it doesn't have to be everybody. It could be just a few. The remnant saved the masses. Well, that's good. The remnant will save the masses. Let's continue. Here we find Jesus say, but we are descendants of Abraham. This is what they said actually to Jesus. We are descendants of Abraham. They said, we have never been slaves to anyone. That's a lie. Lie number one. You already can see, right? What do you mean you've never been slaves to anyone? You were slaves to the Egyptians. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin, which started where? Which started where, guys? In the Garden of Eden. In a perfect place is where sin began. Or sin on earth began. Let me make that, let me straighten that out. Sin on earth began in the Garden of Eden. So here, he's trying to let them know Anyone who, who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. There's a lot in that. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. Because when you don't re receive the message... The true message of Jesus the Christ, your goal would be to kill the message, even if by default. I'm going to say that again. If you don't receive the message of Jesus Christ in your heart, by default, you're going to want to kill the message because there's no room for in the hearts of those for the message. So what's in, what's in the heart of that person? To remove the element of Jesus. And why Jesus the Christ? Real simple. Jesus had to become human. The other day, I, I, I took a look at one of the things I preached. I, was, I think it was taught like 11 years ago. Uh, you ever see, remember, uh, Jesus the ant? You don't remember that? That's a long time ago. And nobody really saw it. Like, it didn't get airtime. It was like maybe 25 people that saw it or 35 people. So I went and I, I said, why, why nobody looked at this one? Because of the title, nobody wants to hear that Jesus is in that. But if you, if you would have looked at it, you would have seen that it wasn't about Jesus being an ant, but rather Jesus coming down to us who are the ant to become like us so that we can then be proven in the courtroom of heaven by the ant. In other words, God in his sovereignty, if God had an ant farm, huge ant farm, and let's say that's humanity, and God wanted to stop the ants from going over to a place. He would talk to them first. They would still be afraid because when ants hear you talk, they scatter. You with me so far? And if you try to move them with your powerful hand, you'll kill a couple of them. 
So the only way to get them to move in the right direction was for him to become the ant himself. He became the ant and led us back into Eden by way of his son, Jesus the Christ. We were led back into Eden, but some of us don't like to, we live in Eden, but don't take advantage of Eden. So we still, we still work while in Eden. And Eden says, I got you. And when I say work, I'm talking about work to be right. And when you try to work to be right and not be right, then you're going to get it wrong. Because you're going to keep trying to be right. And you can't succeed without Jesus to be right. So here you are in this place where everything works for you. And every time you look around, you're, you're looking at the problems and the issues. And I don't think anybody here is like that. You don't wake up in the morning going, and look, here we go again. This is not going to work for me. Right? Not here. No one's like that here. No one wakes up in the morning here in this group upset at the way the day is going. No one here argues with anyone. You don't tell anybody off. Did I say something wrong? Nobody here, no, nobody here in this group wakes up upset at somebody else because we understand Eden. The problem is you can be in the Eden concept and not live it, and so you don't receive the benefits of it. And you're wondering why things ain't working for you because you're creating an environment where it's not going to work for you. You disagree with the person you need to agree with. And you agree with the person you need to disagree with. And so things start falling apart and you're saying why? It's because your agreement isn't right. So John, in the book of John, we find Jesus constantly talking about his agreement with the Father. Me and the Father, we're one. Everything he does, I do. I'm trying to teach us something. Everything he does, I do. He did this, I did that. I don't go outside of that. I do what the Father does. But yet we, in our attempt to be God, we want our world to be the right world. You know, our world is the world that needs to be, and everybody's got to adjust to my world. Right? Nobody here. I got to keep saying that. That's nobody here. I'm going to say that. There's nobody here because you'll be looking at me crazy. But if you think about what it means to be able to live in your world, what does your world look like? And does he fit in my world? And if he doesn't fit in my world, what do I do to make sure he does? If I want him to fit in my world, do I strip him of who he is to now fit into my world? Do I make him less or even something, this may be different. Do I make him more? Because in some worlds, we need a God who's not God. Y'all didn't get that. Let me go over here. In some worlds, we need somebody to be our God. So we got to keep building golden calves. But for those who don't know, because I know there's people brand new here, and I didn't do something I was supposed to do. It's interesting how the Israelites were slaves. Like they said, they weren't slaves. They were slaves to the, to the Egyptians. The minute they're free, God releases them. They see the, the waters part. They cross dry land. They get to the other side. You know what they do? 
Yo, it makes no sense. But then we do the same thing. They went, instead of acknowledging God that parted the Red Sea, they decide to build a, take your earrings off, take all your chains off, all the gold, let's turn it into something. We got to turn it into a big golden calf. And they start worshiping a golden calf. Well, sometimes it may not be a golden calf. Sometimes it could be your job. Now, I'm going to say that. Sometimes it could be your job. Sometimes it could be your children. Or your parents. Or your spouse. You're building a go- He's the one who freed you, not the golden calf. Not your parents, not your children, not your spouse. He frees you. So why are we putting that person in position that they can't be in? Do you know you can kill that person whether it's less or more? You can kill that person. That person, you, you put him in the wrong place. Now you got the devil looking at him like he's God. And so the devil goes, okay, we need God power here. To destroy this person. Because now you have that person in a position that they should not be in. But the other one is the opposite. Bringing them down to a place where they're less than. And that's equally as bad. Both are bad. Some of us are good at exalting. And some of us are good at removing authority. I don't know why you're laughing over there. (laughs) That laughter came out of nowhere. (laughs) My my point is, both extremes are bad. You got got people that want to make sure that they, no, that's too much. And then you got people that are giving too much. So what do we have to do? Learn how to fly in between. Find that place. And it's constant work to stay in between. You got to keep working to stay in between. That's why Jesus said what? Me and my father always... Working. We're always working because it requires work to remain in between. All right, let's continue. Let's continue. Let's go to the next one. I'm going to go right to uh, chapter 37. That's number five. Chapter 37. So the first one's chapter one, the other one's chapter three, the other one's chapter 12. Oh, wrong. I should have went to chapter 22. Chapter 22, let me do this fast because you've heard me do this one before. Those of you who are brand new, try to grab and follow me on this. Everything is a parallel. Let's go to chapter 22, verse 1. Everything is a parallel. And you got to know this about the Word of God. If you start knowing the parallel, you'd want to keep reading. I spent years going back and forth after I found out that there was more than what I knew. I said, what? There's more to this? When I found out how God was strategic with this one story. And I'm going to take my time giving it to you, but I, again, I gave this one before. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Yes, he replied, here I am. He's telling God, here I am. He's not telling God, yo, what's up? Here I am. Because he's taken on the role of the I am in what is, what's about to take place. He says, take your son, your only son. Issue number one. Was he his only son? No. Isaac was not Abraham's only son. He had a son, another son by the name of Ishmael. 
And this smell was not a part of the game plan of chapter 22. So what happens? Look what happens. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Do you know? I'm going to go short version here. Do you know where the land of Moriah is, guys? Not the singer. You know where the land of Moriah is? Moriah is the same place where Jesus was crucified 4,000 years later. Mount Moriah is where Calvary is, where Jerusalem is. So Mount Moriah is where right now God is telling Abraham to take his son, his only son, the one he loves. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, whoa, listen to that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to do what? What we're about to see right now. Look what it says. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. Why not another animal? Why a donkey? Because a donkey was going to be used when Jesus first comes into Mount Moriah or Jerusalem. So the donkey is now a part of the scenery that had to take place in Genesis 22. I'm telling you, there's parallels. You can't make this up. 4,000 years later? 4,000 years later and the same scenario? Let's continue. Look at this. Look at this. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants. How many servants? How many people were on the cross with Jesus? There goes a scenario. All of it is coming to play. With him, along with his son Isaac, then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. Number four, on the third day. Everybody say on the third day. On the third day. What happened on the third day, folks? Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. On the third day. Of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. He tells them, stay here with the donkey. He told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will what? No, then I'll come right back. And say, I? Then we, we're going to go, then we will come right back. Meaning that already there was a prophetic word, him having instructions on doing something with his son. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offerings. So Abraham placed the wood for the, so Abraham placed the cross on the shoulder of Jesus. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offerings on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father. Yes, my son. That's relationship, by the way. Father, yes, my son. We have the fire and we have the wood. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? A prophetic word 4,000 years before is now spoken so that Jesus can be that. Because Isaac right here is not just a representation of Jesus, but he's also a representation of humanity. Look what he says. 
God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both, both walked on together. So God is going to provide. Did God provide the sheep? Not yet. God did not provide it yet. But watch what happens. When they arrive at the place where God had told them, there's a shiny thing over here. Told him to go. Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord, which by the way, the angel of the Lord is who? That's right. That's, that's exactly right. Jesus himself, before his name was Jesus, before he came through a tunnel of a woman, he comes down and he goes, we got it. I just needed you to do that. I need you to take it that far. Because what happens? At that moment, the angel of the Lord calls him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, hear what? I am. That's the second time. Don't lay a hand on the world. I mean, the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Why didn't you say your son? Why, why your only son when it wasn't really his only son? He's talking to himself for the future. This is a conversation. This is tri-dimensional. It's not one-dimensional. That's why when you're reading the word, try to find Jesus in it. As you go through the Old Testament, try to find Jesus in it. Look what it says. Then Abraham, where am I? Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns. Anybody know what a ram is? What's a ram? An adult sheep. That's exactly right. A mature sheep. A sheep that's not a baby. Because a lamb is a little baby. It's a baby sheep. But it had to be a mature. Because the, the ram was caught in the thicket with his what? Because that ram was a representation of Jesus in the future. Because the ram became the sacrifice for humanity. Jesus was the ram that took our sins. And when he took the sins, this whole thing played out the way it was supposed to. As a matter of fact, look what it says. Abraham named the place. So he took the ram. Let me go back. Go back one. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. So in place of humanity, Jesus became the ram. We were the ones who were supposed to be sacrificed. And Jesus said, nah, I'm going to step in. I got to do this because I started it way back when, 4,000 years ago. I gave the prophetic reenactment or enactment. And now I'm doing the prophetic reenactment on the cross. That's huge. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So that day, Genesis was written a long time ago. When this was written, nothing had happened yet. 
So what's going to be provided? On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. On what mountain of the Lord? Mount Moriah, which was where? Calvary. So on Calvary, where all this happened, everything took place in the same place Jesus died. Uh, you're not getting it. Jesus died on the cross on the very same place where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. Jesus died on the cross on the very place where the ram was killed and sacrificed. Okay. Jesus died on the cross. There was blood that was shed on the very ground that the ram blood, the ram's blood was 4,000 years ago before. Can that help somebody out? Y'all got this already. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, again. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will be considered the cities of, well, no, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. I got to do something about that glare, boy. That glare is getting me. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth. Now watch this. Another prophetic word. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who are they talking about? Jesus. It was the loins of Abraham that was found the messianic seed. It was found in Abraham. So the messianic seed went and traveled, listen to this now, from Adam to Seth, not Cain or Abel, from Seth to Enoch, from Enoch to Noah, from Noah to Abram. The seed kept following him from Abram to Isaac, so not even Ishmael, from Isaac to Jacob, not even Esau. From Jacob to Judah, not Reuben, not Simeon, not Levi, not Issachar, not Gad, not Dan, not Asher, not Naphtali, but Judah, who's with me so far. From Judah, it continues on all the way to David. The seed never stopped traveling. And when it gets to David, it divides. It goes towards not the famous one, Solomon, but rather one that no one finds out about, which is Nathan. And not Nathan the prophet. Nathan, one of the unknown sons of David. As a matter of fact, the only, the only time they mention him is to show that, that that's where the line continues. It's so messed up. He gets no, no, no airtime. But look at God. When he wants to hide something. He had to hide it from the enemy. You know why? Because the enemy did not understand this messianic seed. That's why he thought it was Moses. He thought, he thought the Messiah was Moses and was wrong. He thought the Messiah after that, he thought the Messiah was, was, um, was uh, 
a Joseph before that, actually. He thought it was Joseph, and he was wrong. So the Messiah, the Messianic seed, was hidden all the way till it got to Mary. Ooh. Not Joseph. Because if you get it confused, you would think that Joseph, the stepfather, was where the seed went through. The seed went through Mary. And Mary had to be the bloodline of Abraham, the bloodline of Seth, the bloodline of Adam. And you find that completely restored and preserved in the book of Luke. For Matthew got it through the father. And that's where it kind of messed up because according to Matthew, Jesus would have been the descendant of Solomon, which is not the case. We got we to shift from that one. We'll get back to that in the future. Chapter 37, the account of Joseph. And truly, I can't really, I won't get too much into it because we have 12 minutes before Q&A, which I seem like 10 minutes, right? Five minutes, dear Lord. Wow, this is going to be tough. We're going to do it though. The account of Joseph. Joseph had 12, 11 brothers. When he was grabbed by his brothers because of jealousy, you know, again, we don't deal with that here, but they, they, they actually tossed him into a sewer or into a well and then sold him to the Ishmaelites, their cousins. This guy went through hell and high water and his process was disturbed. Listen to me carefully. And at the end, he did something that most people don't do. He decided to bless the ones who persecuted him. His brothers that threw him in the, 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 the well and sold him. He ends up loving on them and preserving them. And God used a tragedy to preserve a whole generation. It was through that one thing, that one moment. So for those who are jealous of you, those who kind of want to see your demise, don't sweat it. Just keep moving. Keep building. Because at the end of the day, you will have favor everywhere you go. Because he had favor as a slave. He was like the number one slave. Then he had favor as a prisoner. He was the number one prisoner. Then he had favor as as just the one running the whole show. Literally, he got power to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt and was able to preserve his family because of that. Listen, there are things you're going through right now, moments that are really tragic, right? What you don't realize is that God's already forming something with that tragedy. And he's taking those moments and turning it into a future moment that you know nothing about. Somebody's being preserved by your pain. Somebody's being taken care of by your hurt. Sounds like a pregnancy to me. The pain is an indicative of what's to come. 
So if we put it on a scale, if it's real painful, it's a real powerful blessing. Something's coming. Put it on the scale. All right, questions? Q&A? Yes. Microphone, right there. Um, I have a few. Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry. Okay, so in the beginning of the teaching, you mentioned Eden being the kingdom. Yes. And, um, and how, thank you. Um, and how the purpose of Jesus was to reestablish the kingdom. Yes. Can you elaborate on what Eden is and how is Eden the kingdom now? Okay, that would open up a whole other... Because okay. I wanted everyone to understand right. what hey, Eden I'm, is. I'm, I'm going to try to do this within the next couple <laughs> of minutes. Eden is a representation of a place where all is well. It represents shalom. It is the place of peace. It represents what we just uh, got right now, gyra, provide, provision, provider. It is a place where everything falls in place because it is the perfect plan of God for humanity. When Jesus came, he came to establish the kingdom and made sure that everyone he was around and he encountered would receive the Eden effect. That means provision. That means protection. That means all of these things when he brought, when he came, that's why it was easy for him to, to heal a blind person. Because he was a second Adam bringing in, ushering in Eden. Whereas the first Adam had to be taught by Eden. Repeat that again. That's so good. The first Adam had to be taught by Eden what was effective for him. But the second Adam, Jesus, understood all the inner workings of Eden to bring it to humanity. We're not supposed to die, folks. People don't like hearing this one. Yeah, keep it real. Keep reality. Listen, we're not supposed to die. Our bodies were designed to last forever. But sin entered in and caused an Eden place, us, by the way, I, I did a study on Eden and the breakdown of the body. I don't know if y'all remember that a long time ago. I showed how Eden is exactly a human body. All of Eden. From the air you breathe in, everything. The breakdown. And it's because we are a representation of Eden. And we were supposed to be perfect in every way until sin entered in. And sin brings about a copy of a copy of a copy of a bad copy. By the time you look, you don't see anything. The resolution is different. So to answer your question, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God was ushered in by the second Adam to bring about the peace that's within Eden to humanity. While the, the first Adam came in to Eden to manage it, but got sped out because of the imperfection that entered in. Amen. So that leads into my second question. How did the imperfection have entry? Very good. Very good question. The imperfection came in by way of possession. So the entry was not so much the, the, the possession of the creature that came in. It was the action taken. Now, what prompted the enemy to go into Eden? What made him want to go into Eden? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that 
He wanted to show the imperfection of God, which is today we still see that. The demonic diabolical agenda to prove that God is not real is still going on right now. What was it that he told the woman? That's not true. He told you what? He said, huh? Really? Go investigate. So the moment the question came in, the understanding. Here's something else that I picked up on. And this may be something you guys may want to look into yourselves. I find it a problem that Adam did not hear the conversation with the serpent and Eve. <laughs> Actually, he didn't hear the conversation. It's okay. I, I love your excitement. I, I'm going to tell you, but what happened was there was something that broke down in their relationship. It was not one. They were separate, which gave access to the enemy to enter in. The problem was, how in the world is the serpent having a conversation with Eve and not even respect the fact that Adam could send that serpent straight to the pit? You're not fearful? Because she was wandering off. And he was like, okay, we're good. You know, you're every woman. I'm going to go over here. Hey, you got it. Left her alone, did not do what he was supposed to do in his overseeing. And so that conversation was illicit. And an illicit conversation opens up portals and allows the enemy to enter in. So that was the entry point. So you're saying it was a separation. It was a separation that caused a separation. <laughs> Glory to God. Last thing, um, I just, and I caught it this time. Um, amen. The messianic seed. You were talking about the messianic seed stemming from Abraham. But then it ended up in Mary. So then that made me think, wait a minute. So is it really a seed or was it a promise? Because the seed is really the seed of God. So is it the promise of continuance and life that Abraham had in his loins that traveled to the ovaries Watch this. of Mary. She's absolutely right. Because the seed comes from a man. But what, we, what we're looking at here is not so much the seed hidden, but the DNA from the seed. For the DNA of blood had to be from Adam to Noah. I'm, I'm bypassing some people. To Abraham to Judah, to David. It had to be that bloodline. But look at God. Look at God. He needed to restore and preserve the throne. The king needed to be acknowledged as king. Therefore, in Matthew, we find that the lineage is different from Luke because Matthew focuses on Solomon and all the kings in Judah that lead to Jesus. While the other side is talking about the bloodline, 
Luke talks about the bloodline that leads all the way. So they're both important. The throne by way of Joseph, because a throne is not necessary by blood. You're appointed. Ooh, glory. You're appointed. Joseph was of the tribe of Judah from that lineage of royalty. And Mary was from the bloodline because Jesus could not have, huh, Jesus could not have been a, aligned with the, the debauchery of Solomon. For Solomon went far to the left. That's why when you read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, be very careful. I got a phone call from someone and he was right. A lot of people use Ecclesiastes trying to, trying to justify stuff when Ecclesiastes was written during a time where, where, where Solomon was not right. He was off, worshiping other gods and, and doing all types of stuff. Be careful. Rightly divide the word of God. Understand what's coming from where. And that person asked me, so then why, why did they even put Ecclesiastes in there? We need the darkness to understand the light. So we need that book to understand what happens when someone loses their way, even if they're the most brilliant persons on earth. You know what God called Solomon? The most intelligent and wisest person ever to walk the earth, ever before and ever after. But then what about Jesus? That's what made Jesus God. Uh, yeah, I heard the question. I heard the question before you even... What about Jesus? Jesus... That's proof of him being God. Because 100% God and 100% man could not be put in the same category of just 100% man. So the only one who was 100% man that was the, the wisest ever to walk the earth was Solomon. God's not lying. Lastly, I'm done hogging the mic. I have a breakdown of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The uh, two creation um, of Eden Amen. and um, of humanity. So if you want it, please raise your hand. I'll bring it out. That's everybody. Why are you giving the mic? Any other questions? Questions. Okay, questions. And then, and then how much time do we have? Oh, Yes. Okay, yeah, we got to start wrapping it up. Go okay, so really quick, my question was what Pastor Jen asked, but I, you know, and I got my answer. But just last night, I was questioned in a way that the enemy did Eve, but it was it was posed a little differently. How how do you know you're not brainwashed? That was the question I was posed. So I'm, you know, this right here is so powerful that yes. we're receiving this because we're we're being equipped. To, 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 uh, with the word, what the word says. So brainwash is a term used on earth. You were convinced. So let's talk about convincing. Because the truth is, what does it mean to brainwash? To wash the brain to get you to believe something. That's simply, I believe this paradigm over another. Right? And usually paradigms are embraced based on people's positioning internally what they believe to be. In other words, what's comfortable enough for me? I don't mind, the, and no offense to anyone here, I promise you, but this is what I believe. And I believe this wholeheartedly because I get to see the transactions that take place before and after. Anyone who gets a tattoo and comes to the Lord, you're good. 
because you came to the Lord, he removed it, right? He removed the power of that transaction. Hear me out. Again, this is me, and this is not a salvation issue either. Get your tats and go, go, go to heaven. You can, that can happen. I'm talking about and now, right now here on earth scenario. Salvation is one thing, but when, it talk, when you talk about having peace here on earth, I believe there are portals that get opened up because there's a transaction of blood by way of memory. The reasons why people prefer tattoos over hennas is because a henna will erase eventually. But there's something about getting something permanent that feels good. And then once you get one, you want another. And once you get another, you want another. And once you get another one, you want another. Why? Because it's a pact that needs to be satisfied by way of blood. So you find that there are those that will argue that. And that's okay. I'll let you rock. I'll be here to pray for you. We'll talk, we'll intercede. I'll tell you what I believe. You don't have to believe me. Just go through the transactions. You'll see that there's an opening that takes place. And you're wondering why. And that's the reason why. Don't ask a doctor or an oncologist why. Stuff that you eat. You run down the list of things that you eat. And you go, no, but I'm gonna, I don't believe that. Well, there's a reason why. If you're going to ask a doctor something and you're going to follow what they're saying, that's what it is. I believe that once you are a believer and you're still eagerly looking to put vanity on you, I mean to put tattoos on you, there's a connection there. Why do you want to be seen? Somebody got a tattoo and, and they put it in a certain spot and they wanted people to see it. I want people to know it's there. So you start showing it. There's a connection. If God intended for us to have, be, have tattoos, he we'd have been born with it. Come on. Yes. I got this tattoo on my arm. A little black spot that just kept growing. Yeah, it was real little like this. Now it's like my whole arm. It's not a tattoo. But I'm telling you guys. Yeah, I know. Because then they'll tell me, he got a tattoo. I'm telling you that these are things that, that we got to pay attention to on earth as it is in heaven. I'm wondering if they got a tattoo shop upstairs, up, up in heaven. You want to know what's good and what's not? Real simple. Is there going to be food in heaven? Then food is good here on earth. <laughs> Did you catch that? Whatever is good in heaven is good on earth. I just, the only person who's tattooed on purpose is Jesus. But it's not a tattoo. It is a reminder of the sacrifice forevermore. And mind you, he can choose to put it and, and remove it as he wants to show you, look what I did. It doesn't mean if you have a tattoo now, you're going to hell and you're a bad person. Let me make that very clear to everyone here. We're not saying that. You can, come you can have your face tattooed and come to the Lord and you're straight. God will remove all of the curses that are connected to that completely. Why do you think, why do you think, and I'm with this, I'm close. Why do you think that in prison, when someone kills people, what do they do? They tattoo ear, uh, eye drop, uh, what do you call it, teardrops. I said eye drops. <laughs> That's funny. T 
teardrops and the amount you have shows the amount of people that you've actually killed. Think about the correlation. And some people justify by having a face of Jesus, a Bible verse, a cross. You know, at least that's what it is. No, it's how it looks. You don't need it. If God, God loves you the way you are. Please stand. You got another question? Jesus. You're looking at me with the, Bible, with the mic in your hand. Guys, yes. Yes, praise God. Praise God. Guys, I love you. We're going to keep learning more. I was supposed to get into John as well. Let's see how I do with the second, the second uh, session. Um, there's a lot in John that's connected to everything that I said in Genesis. And the people involved in Genesis have a correlation. Like, for example, Nicodemus and Abraham have a connection. That whole John 3... And that whole Genesis chapter 3 have a connection as well. All of it is connected. And when a person like yourself loves to study all types of things being connected, you'd be, in the, you'd be in the Bible for hours and never get tired. I'm telling you based on my experience. Once you find out this whole thing is connected, eh, forget about uh, the, what is it, the Kardashians. I want to get into the word. The word has something for me. Here's something else I figured out. Psalms 119. Verse 29. 119 verse 29. It speaks of the power of the word. How every time you study the word, you are healed. You get healed every time you study the word. Every time you open up a Bible, which we're going to get you a Bible today if you don't have one. Every time you open up that Bible, you open up the connection to your spirit and your soul. 